0: that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hello again, everyone. This is Chip Brogdon coming to you with another edition of our weekly webcast. I'm streaming online at www.watchman.net, and we're continuing our series of messages from the book of Hebrews. We've got a lot of material to cover today, so let's grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews Last week we left off with chapter 10, about halfway through chapter 10, so let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin this week in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, and what I'd like to do is finish up with Hebrews 10, and then proceed on and finish with Hebrews 11 so we can stay on target, so uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer right now, and ask Him to bless this time that we have together in the Word. We thank you, Lord, for this new covenant and this high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We confess him as Lord and as Savior. We confess him as our high priest, the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant, established upon better promises. And we thank you, Lord, that his sacrifice is complete. It is finished. It is paid in full. And I thank you for grace wherein we stand. And I thank you for this access that we have by the blood of Jesus Christ into the Holy of Holies to enjoy communion and fellowship there in your presence. I thank you for a new and living way who is Jesus Christ, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And I pray, Lord, that these scriptures that we study will... Enter into our heart and will become part of us and would produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. That we would find the application to our lives here and now, and that we would not be forgetful hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word and would demonstrate the preeminence of Jesus Christ over all things. That the testimony of Jesus would be established and would find uh, preeminence and would find a place of ascendancy here in this earth that the kingdom of God would be established and would be enlarged and increased, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for the great love and the amazing grace that you've shown us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes so that we can better appreciate and better value the, the tremendous gift that is ours in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 10 and I want to go back to verse 25 uh, before we proceed any further where it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, I wanted to read that again because a lot of people will use that as a proof text for attending church on on Sunday morning and uh I really think that's taking it out of context. You need to understand when this letter was written. and the time when it was written, there were no such things as church services. They didn't even have church buildings, and they certainly didn't have worship services and clergy leading the laity and, and all the things that we've come to associate with what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century. Uh, So to use that as a proof text to say uh, you should be in church this Sunday I think is stretching it quite, quite a bit. Uh, The very idea assumes that Christian fellowship can only take place in the context of a church building or in the context of a worship service. And if, if you've got any spiritual maturity at all, you realize that Christian fellowship happens wherever Christians are gathered together. And it need not be in a church. Certainly it can happen in a church. But you can't take that verse and use that as a proof text for arguing that Christians are supposed to attend church on Sunday morning. It's not what it says at all. It doesn't say how often to assemble. It doesn't say where to assemble. It doesn't say how many people should be assembled. It doesn't say anything about what they should do when they are assembled, other than exhorting one another and encouraging one another. And I think that's, that's just something that can be universally applied. We should always take advantage of fellowship whenever we have opportunities to fellowship with brothers and sisters. My question is, do you only have those opportunities in the context of a church service? And my experience has been that there are many more opportunities for fellowship, I mean, true fellowship and communion with other brothers and sisters outside the church service than there are inside the church service. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I just wanted to mention that there in verse 25 uh, that you wouldn't let someone beat you up over the fact that God has you in the wilderness and maybe you're not attending church on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or on Sunday night. And I think part of the problem is if you do attend and you make people who don't attend feel like they're second class citizens or second class christians in god's kingdom then you're doing yourself and you're doing them a disservice so uh just wanted to mention that there with the not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together because that that seems to be the proof text people want to use and uh so let's just take that for what it is. It's an, it's an encouragement that we fellowship with others when we have the opportunity that we exhort one another, we encourage one another, and uh, folks in this day and age, you can do that just about anywhere you are, over the Internet, over the telephone, in your home, in your neighborhood and certainly that's inclusive of of church but it doesn't exclude everything outside of church so let's keep our priorities straight and let's keep the perspective on that Uh, verse 26 if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries now again uh, we've had a very clear and very Thought provoking, spirit inspired argument, if you will, or teaching might be a better word, up until this point, of three basic facts, three basic principles, three basic truths that Hebrews is trying to get across to us. And let's revisit them again. Number one, that Jesus is our high priest. Secondly, he is the mediator of a new covenant. And thirdly, his sacrifice is the final and ultimate sacrifice. And so up until this point, uh, Paul has done a good job of laying that out. Uh, If you don't understand it, if you don't agree with it, I don't know what else to tell you, except you need to go back and reread Hebrews again until it sinks down uh, into your spirit. Uh, But by the time it gets to Hebrews 10, now there's a transition here where everything that can be said to encourage and persuade someone has been said, and now... Uh, it, it's simply going to charge them or exhort them or encourage them to remain faithful to the truth that's been revealed to them. Now, a lot of people will, if, will say they want the, the truth and they'll seek after the truth, but uh, truth is a living person. Truth is not a set of facts or, or a database of knowledge. Truth is a person. And when you, when you ask truth to come into your life, when you see Jesus says, I am the truth, truth is living, truth is increasing, and there is a cost associated with knowing the truth. <laughs> and sometimes that cost gets to be too great for people, and they prefer ignorant bliss to blessed truth. They would rather just kind of... retreat into something that is safe and secure, even though it it doesn't exactly line up with the truth that's been revealed to them. And so Paul is now trying to warn them of the dangers of having seen the light, having experienced this new covenant you don't want to fall back and he calls it falling from grace you don't want to fall from grace and then go back to the old covenant go back to the law yet I see people do that every day and they, they simply the, the only way you can do it is you don't fully appreciate and recognize the value of what Jesus Christ has done the value of who he is and the value of what it means to live as a new covenant believer uh, so For the the remainder of this book, there is going to be encouragement uh, to them and to us to remain faithful to this new covenant. So, he makes a comparison, which I I think is very appropriate here in verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? And, friend, that is exactly what you're doing when you try to, to... bring yourself and other people into bondage to something that the Lord has brought you out of. Bondage to the old covenant, bondage to holy days and feast days and rituals and Sabbath days and all of the accoutrements of the old covenant. Paul says when you do that, you are trampling the Son of God, you're, you're counting the blood of the covenant by which you are sanctified, a common thing, and more than anything else insulting the spirit of grace whenever we try to satisfy god based upon our works whenever we adopt some kind of a religious way of doing things as a way to we think please God it's insulting to the spirit of grace because by grace you're saved not of works lest any man should boast but that's exactly what happens with religion when you take religious things and you make them into your practice your doctrine the the way that you relate to God and relate to others the way you judge and measure other people uh, you're insulting the spirit of grace so Paul says don't do that verse 30 For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, So now he's going to bring back to the remembrance. Verse 32, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that, you may, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry now the just shall live by faith but if anyone draws back my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul again Paul is simply saying you started out well you, you have begun a good race now finish the race complete what you have begun don't go back don't quit don't give up In the beginning, you were persecuted. And, you know, part of their doctrine, when they went around and it says that they encouraged people, saying that we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Uh, That kind of message would not be very well received today, the idea that you have to enter the kingdom of God through great tribulation. But the fact of the matter is, when you accept the truth, That truth makes you free. First, it'll make you mad. And after it makes you mad and it sets you free, it'll start making other people mad because they'll resent the fact that you are a living testimony to the truth because that convicts them. And if they will not accept that truth, it condemns them. So your very life... Your very desire, your hunger and thirst for righteousness, your desire for the truth. And then your ability to speak the truth with discernment and with wisdom by the Spirit, it just antagonizes people who are not on the same page. It infuriates those who would rather accept something less than the truth because it reinforces their own opinion, their own belief system, uh, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. So Paul is simply encouraging them to say, you've, you've begun well, now continue on and don't draw back, don't give up. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, which uh, faith teachers for years have used uh, as, again, kind of a proof text for faith, and made an, an entire movement out of this idea of what they think faith is, and uh, so I, I want to quickly go through Hebrews 11, and and really lay out what I what I think it's telling us here. And it's certainly not giving us the secret formula for manipulating our circumstances and being able to get prosperity and being able to get uh, health and healing and being able to get all the things that we want to get. Uh, That's another example, folks, of taking something in Scripture, lifting, lifting it up out of context with the rest of Scripture, and creating your own doctrine around this one isolated passage or a few verses of Scripture. Uh, So let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, okay, so what is faith? Well, basically, faith (laughs) is simply trusting God when you've got really no reason to trust God. You're trusting God... That he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. I mean, that, that's basically what faith is. How in the world faith became some type of a force that I use kind of like a Star Wars force to manipulate my environment and change my circumstances and become healthy and wealthy, I, I really don't understand. it. I guess it only serves to illustrate uh, just how easy it is for people to walk in the flesh and to be carnal and to take something spiritual and take something holy and twist it for their own selfish ends and then use it to uh, send people in a direction that is exact opposite of where they need to be. So uh, as you can see, I've, I've got a very, uh, a very high opinion of this thing and uh, I'm not afraid to express it because it's the truth. So let's not be distracted and make faith the object of everything that we do. Let's make Jesus the object of what we're doing. And whatever faith we have, it's faith in Him. Faith is simply trust in the Lord, trusting in the Lord that He is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do. That, that's just about as simple as I can make it for you. By faith we understand verse 3 of Hebrews 11 that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible verse 4 by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks so he talks about Abel see Abel had, a, had fellowship with God Abel never saw God Verse five by faith, Enid was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. well, Enid walked with God, but he never saw God he never he he never was able to he he couldn't trust God on the basis of what he saw and what he heard. It was something deep on the inside it was a spirit and truth relationship and fellowship. And that's where faith comes from. Believing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Verse 6, for or But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, you've got to believe, if you come to God, that God is who he says he is. And... That he will do what he says he will do. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. See, that's the key. It's easy to believe after you've seen. (laughs) But that's not faith. The Bible clearly says it's not faith, it's not even hope. If you already see it and you already have it, you don't have to hope for it. And you don't have to have faith. But if you believe something that you haven't seen and you don't have yet, that's faith. And you'll remember when when Thomas saw the Lord after he was resurrected, Thomas said, I will not believe until I see the marks and I put my hand in his side. And then Jesus appeared. And he said, Thomas, behold my hands and my feet. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And you remember what Jesus says? You believe, Thomas, because you have seen me. But blessed are they who believe even though they have not seen. And see, that connects us right back to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. Because you remember where it says there in Hebrews 2, 8, Yet we do not yet see all things put under him. We do not yet see all things submitted to him. So we're talking about this new covenant. We're talking about Jesus. We're, we're talking about his preeminence. Yet we do not see all things put under him. Not yet we don't. So what's required? Faith. It's a belief that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. Now, let's continue reading on before I I lose track of my time here verse 8 by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going see that's faith God told him to go and God says I'll bless you and I'll multiply you so Abraham left believing God that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do very simple By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we could really get into some in-depth teaching on that, but we need to move along. Verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. See, you're believing that God will do what he says he will do. (laughs) Therefore, from one man, verse 12, and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, look at verse 13. And this is really going to upset the word of faith doctrine here. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things... "...declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them." So, how does that upset the faith teaching? Well, the the faith teaching, the word of faith teaching, as it has been taught for several decades now... It seems to give people the impression that if you have enough faith, then you can get the promises of God. You can get everything worked out in this lifetime. Well, here's here's something that contradicts that. It says these, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. In other words, God says, I'm going to do something. They took it. They believed it, but they died not having yet received it. Well, what does that tell you? Well, it tells me that God... Listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you now. Because I think this will set some people free. It certainly has set me free. God doesn't always resolve everything to your satisfaction in this lifetime. He simply does not. God is multidimensional. He is not bound by time and space. And He does not always, and He's not obliged to, (laughs) resolve everything. Everything to your satisfaction in this lifetime. I mean, a good example is how will God take evil and work it for good? I'm not saying God sins evil, but it says He's working all things together for good according to His purpose. And He uses evil. He uses these different things for a greater good. But do we see in this lifetime Everything working out, everything getting resolved to our satisfaction in this life? Absolutely not. And that's where it takes faith to believe that if God, that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he's going to do. And if God says he's going to work all things together for good, he didn't say he'd do it in this lifetime. There, theres I don't know if you understand this or not, but there is a dimension beyond what we see and what we hear. There is a dimension beyond time and space as we know it. It's the realm of the Spirit. It's the realm of eternity. And God is not limited to working in one little monodimensional expression of our existence here on earth. Uh, there is... Life goes on beyond this dimension. And and what I'm trying to say in so many words is that faith is needed, belief in God, that God is who he says he is, and that God will do what he says he will do. That kind of faith is needed, not just here in this lifetime, that God's going to work it all out in my lifetime, but that God is able to work it all out even beyond this lifetime and into eternity. Now, when you think about the greatness of God, that's not that, it's not such a stretch to believe that He's able to do it. But the idea that, that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and everything's going to go just fine with you in this lifetime, well it's not based on scripture, it's not consistent with scripture, and it's not consistent with the experiences of countless saints who were a lot more holy and a lot more wise than you and I, who, as Scripture says, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off <laughs> because they're they're seeking a heavenly country. They've got their eyes fixed on something beyond time and space And life as we know it here on earth Now certainly you'll receive some promises of God He'll demonstrate himself to be faithful here in this lifetime Some things are simply not going to be resolved however in this lifetime And you need to embrace that and accept that that's part of faith Otherwise if you expect everything to work out and be resolved in this lifetime You're not living in faith anymore You're living by what I can see and what I can hear and so we need faith to take us beyond this realm, beyond the earthly, and into the heavenly. Verse 17, "...by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense." And then uh, we're, just, we're going to have to glance over these passages. He talks about Jacob, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses. And uh, so we, I encourage you to go back and read those and study those. And if you're not familiar with the people that, that he's referencing he, here, uh, I recommend you go back into Genesis and read their stories. Uh, we go all the way down to 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down, by faith the harlot Rahab... And what more shall I say? For time, verse 32, would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now look at all the things they did through faith. And what is faith? Believing that God is who He says He is and believing that God will do what He says He will do. Who through faith, through faith, subdued kingdoms, Worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the valance of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Now let's stop right there. All of that sounds good. And that's what a a word of faith doctrine teaches, that, yes, you can turn your circumstances around. And that's what it means to be victorious and to be more than a conqueror. And, you know, you can send armies to flight and you can escape the fire and the edge of the sword. And, uh, yeah, they did all those things through faith. But as we continue reading on, look at this in verse 35. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains. In dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Now, can't you see how far removed Scripture is? from the idea that faith is going to straighten my life out here and now and <laughs> it's going to put me on top and I'll never be on the bottom. I'll never have to experience lack. I'll never have to experience any kind of suffering or persecution or any kind of neglect or any kind of lack. See, the whole idea of faith is it's not going to necessarily change my circumstances, but it will change me. Faith means I believe that God is who He says He is, and I believe that God will do what He says He will do, even though I do not yet see all things submitted to Him, even though I do not yet see all my circumstances the way I'd like them to be, even though God has not resolved everything to my satisfaction in this life, nevertheless, I believe God. I believe that God is who He says He is. I believe He'll do what He says He's going to do. And it may work itself out in this lifetime. Then again, it may not. Regardless, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's what Job said. And that's what true faith is. It's believing God, even when my circumstances don't line up. So verse 40, or verse 39, again, all of these, the, the people who got it resolved in this life who experienced the victory and the blessedness as well as the people who were persecuted and wandered around and were were killed and were martyred. All of these it says having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so I want to encourage you if you have been led to believe that the reason you're in the situation you're in is because you lack faith. It's because you don't have enough faith to be healed or you don't have enough faith to have prosperity in your life. Faith is simply believing that God is who He says and that He'll do what He says He'll do regardless of my circumstances, regardless of whether I see it or not. And it's faith in Jesus that He is all in all, and that He is enough, so that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Praise the Lord. I hope that's encouragement to you. I'm all out of time for this week, so we'll pick up next week with Hebrews chapter 12. This is Chip Brogdon, streaming online at www.watchman.net Thank you so much for listening. We'll pick up with Hebrews chapter 12 next week. God bless you.